So if there was one person uh, who characterised our age at the moment, it is probably this man, Donald Trump. Now, I don't know what you think of him. I'm not going to ask because we we're in church. <laughs> but there is one thing that I have a degree of sympathy with him on. You see, as a world leader, I imagine he has to meet an awful lot of people. And in every culture and in every situation, you're expected to greet people in the right way, even if you get those handshakes wrong. And of course, the right way varies from culture to culture and nation to nation and people to people. Sometimes he gets it right. Sometimes, frankly, he gets it very wrong. Sometimes he tries to take control and sometimes it just looks a little bit weird. But I particularly resonate with him in this photo. This one. Hang on, there's loads of them. This one. Because if you're anything like me, when you have to greet someone, how do you navigate the whole kissing thing? It's really tricky, isn't it? It's what the French call la bise, apparently. The kiss. And you know what it's like, don't you? You enter a social gathering and you go to greet someone. How many kisses do you do? Which cheek do you start with? What noise do you make? Is it too familiar? Should you be a bit more formal? What happens if you get it completely wrong? La bise. It's a huge social conundrum. Let me just ask, how many deep down share this conundrum? Yeah, more of us than we admit. Brilliant. Well, today I can reveal all. Apparently, in France, if you're in northern France, you do two kisses. Eastern Brittany, just one. If you're in Nantes, apparently it's four. Provence, it's three. Italy, in general, two, but regions do vary. If you're in Switzerland and Belgium, it's three. If you're in Glasgow, it's a wise idea to avoid a Glasgow kiss. Can I encourage you that? And as for which cheek you go with, that is a whole other question, isn't it? Simply, can I say, apparently the right way is, there is no right way. But whatever you do, go with confidence. And the wisest advice is go for the left first. Take it from me. Apparently that works. And here's another little tip from the research I've done about this this week. Apparently you only actually kiss them as opposed to touch cheeks, you only actually kiss them if they are actually a close friend or family. So if it's just somebody you know, it's just cheeks, that's, that's fine. And then the noise, <laughs> apparently that's irrelevant. And it's not strong advice to go mwah. <laughs> just generally be silent, that's fine. Okay, so there you go. That's some advice for you. You learnt lots at church. But apparently this book comes out next month, uh, which is, will answer all our questions from the British ambassador, I think, no, the American ambassador to France comes out giving all the advice, one kiss or two, how to navigate it. Why go into all this this morning? Well, today we continue this series that we are looking at. It's a series over the summer across Riverside here uh, and over in Mosley, our Mosley gathering, gatherings as well, in which we're looking 
at the advice given to the earliest Christians about how they are to live in community together with one another. And there's a number of different sayings in the New Testament about how to live with one another. And this series, you can pick up these flyers at the back, we're looking at love one another, teach one another, serve one another, encourage one another, and so on. And today, the one another saying that we're looking at is mentioned five times in the New Testament. Here are just a few. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. This saying, greet one another with a holy kiss. It's a strange saying, and even as we were planning the series, we were kind of thinking, should we really do this one? It's a bit weird. But this is the one that is mentioned second most frequently behind love one another, and so therefore we probably ought to tackle it. It's one of the most frequently commanded things in the New Testament. So what, if anything, does it mean for us today in 21st century Britain? Can I highlight something straight off the bat? Notice that it mentions the word holy kiss. When I was a teenager, I grew up in a youth group. We used to have lots of discussions about what we could get away with and what was a holy kiss and what wasn't, what was therefore okay in church and what wasn't. If you're asking those sort of questions, that's not what this means, okay? Let's just nail that off the bat. That's not what we're talking, not that type of kissing. Great. But it's also worth saying something else as we get into this. There are some people, and there may even be some people here today, for whom these kind of verses actually bring up terrible memories because of the way they have been deeply abused. We all know some places in the world, some scandals that have been in the news in recent years, places like Ireland in which or other cult groups across the world have used such things to justify horrific things. Suffice to say, that sort of despicable behavior is so far removed from the New Testament, it's not even worth commenting on. But I do want to acknowledge that there may be some people here this morning for whom even looking at this begins to raise up things that are not comfortable. But I want to suggest the more I've looked at this, I've been strangely moved by this little command to greet one another with a holy kiss. Because I wonder if there's stuff here that all of us could do well to remember. And even if we're not followers of Jesus or we're new to the Christian story, there is really good stuff in here about how to navigate all our relationships that are worth reflecting on, that will transform those relationships. And as we go through, I want to contrast it with another kiss in the Bible from the book of Luke, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he is crucified at the foot of the Mount of Olives there. And he's betrayed by his good friend Judas. And we read these words from Luke chapter 22. Luke 22 verses 47 and 48. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? 
I want to compare greet one another with a holy kiss from this kiss. Two perspectives about our relationships today that regardless of where you're at, regardless of whether you call yourself a Christian, actually they're two contrasting ways to engage in relationships. And if we go with the New Testament kiss of love way, we will see our relationships totally transformed. And as we get into this, I think it's worth just saying one other thing by way of introduction is this. This isn't about the kiss. In that culture, as in our culture, it is a familiar greeting gesture in the same way that a handshake is or a hug is. What this command is not about the kiss, it's about the holy. It's making a normal gesture different. In our culture, we could apply it to a handshake or a hug or whatever it may be. As one author has said, whatever the gestural greeting, the command is to take it from the world and sanctify it, make it holy, devote it to God, make it say something about God. Include God in your hearts and in your thoughts when you greet one another in this ordinary, culturally common greeting. Okay? So that's where we're going. Whatever the greeting is, whatever the normal greeting is, this command is to do it in such a way that is holy. So, four brief things then that I think this might say to all of our relationships and the way we conduct them and certainly within the body of the church, this New Testament Christian community. Firstly, I think it is a calling to have relationships of peace, not war. The contrast between Judas's kiss and all of these other verses that we read is so clear. Look again at the one of Judas. Do you notice it? What's in his mind as Judas comes and kisses Jesus? It is not peace. It is a kiss of betrayal. Contrast that with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13. Do you notice the words he uses? Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Live in peace. And the amazing thing about a kiss or about a handshake or about an embrace, whatever it may be, it opens us up to being hurt because we are in physical proximity to somebody. And therefore, as Paul writes to these New Testament Christians, what he's saying is when you greet people, you do it in such a way that is a greeting of peace. You are extending unity to them. Because as you get close to someone, there is a real risk they can do hurt to you. And so therefore, a kiss, a holy kiss, or a greeting that is done in God's name, is one in which we stand with each other rather than against each other. And that's why in some Christian traditions in church on Sundays, what they do is they offer the peace to one another. And a bit later on, we're going to do it. It's where they go and greet one another and say, peace be with you. Why do they do that? Because it's a way of saying and extending after all that Jesus has done for me, how can I be at war with you? And so here's the challenge for us this morning. Actually, this has something profound about our relationships. What does a holy kiss look like? When we know we're at war with somebody in this room or somebody we're in relationship with, it's a calling to lay down our weapons, 
to put them aside and say we are friends, we are family, we are brothers and sisters because we are in Christ. So it's a calling to have relationships of peace, not war. The second aspect is, I think it's also a calling to have relationships of closeness, real closeness, not distance. Again, look at the kiss of Judas. It's fascinating what happens. It's real intimacy, which is why Jesus says, Judas, are you betraying me with a kiss? In other words, this act is to be supposed to be something of closeness, and yet you're doing it is an act of betrayal. How wrong is that? Is what Jesus is saying. Contrast that with what Paul says. The churches in the province of Asia send their greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you in the Lord. So does the church that meets in their house, and so on and so on. There's genuine intimacy, genuine closeness there, isn't there? In other words, the New Testament Christians are called to be a family, not just a collection of individuals. Warmly, they meet in their house. I, Paul, write this with my own hands. There's real closeness and relationship here. Connection, not just a collection of individuals on a Sunday morning. And can I say, we often get that. We get feedback of people coming into Riverside gatherings and hear the overwhelming impression that, wow, what a community. Such love for each other, such a family. And it's that love and care expressed by our closeness that shows something about Jesus. And so therefore, can I say, if you're kind of involved in Riverside, you'd call Riverside your church, Actually, I think a 21st century expression of greeting one another with a holy kiss is getting plugged in and getting involved in groups so that actually there's genuine togetherness, genuine intimacy, genuine closeness in our relationships. Are we willing to be a family with people, not a collection of individuals? And of course, families embrace the struggles, walk with each other in the ups and downs. So, Call to relationships of peace, call to relationships of closeness, not distance. But thirdly, I, I think it's also a calling to have relationships of genuine vulnerability, not relationships in which we put up barriers. Compare Judas's kiss again. Judas approaches this kiss with one thing in mind. It is to betray Jesus. That is the intention of the act that he does. It is duplicitous, and it is letting down their friend. Compare that to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13. Strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind. That phrase, one mind, is often used in times where it talks about thinking of yourself rightly rather than too highly. And so to have one mind, it means to have a right measure of who you are, not thinking of yourself as better than those around you, or lower than those around you. In other words, having the right measure and view of yourself is what's at the heart of the command to greet one another with a holy kiss. And therefore, there's a relational vulnerability about recognizing our own weakness and strengths that we can be free to do within the body of the church. That we can admit 
where we're weak. That we don't have to put up a, church, put up a front and come to church with a bit of a swagger because I'm all right, even though you know you're not. Actually, the New Testament church is a place where we can all admit we're sinners saved by grace. We can be vulnerable. Which is why C.S. Lewis, the famous uh, thinker and writer in the 20th century, said this. Friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Genuine, deep vulnerability. Not where there's pretense. Not where we're afraid of admitting where we've let uh, things down or gone wrong. But an openness to be real, warts and all. There's a duplicity in Judas's mind that's not really the intent of what is going on in his mind. When he kisses, that's not what's going on in his mind. And therefore, friends, I want to suggest that in our society today, where else can we be weak? In our jobs where we have to buff up our CV so we look more impressive than Jesus. In our families where the moment we get something wrong, we're nailed for it. In our friendship groups, we don't want to admit that we've got things wrong in place. We're no longer friends with people. This community can be a place and is a place where genuine vulnerability with brothers and sisters and friends who are also weak and frail, just like you and me. So in your life group, in your community group, how vulnerable are we? How open are we to admitting our real weaknesses? Friendship is revealed when one person says, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. Do I put up a mask all the time? Or am I really open to admitting my weakness? Because we know we're saved by grace. So, greet one another with a kiss of love is a call to a relationship of peace. Call to a relationship of genuine closeness like a family. And, and also relationships of genuine vulnerability. But fourthly and finally, I think most obviously... It is a call to relationships of sacrifice, not manipulation. Look again at Judas's kiss. It's very obvious. The writer says what Judas, what was on his mind to betray Jesus. And so he comes to him with a kiss. Jesus says, in effect, you're doing this with a kiss, mate. In other words, this is a deeply inappropriate act for what you're doing, let alone the act itself. In other words, Judas is trying to do something that is not what he's actually doing. He's trying to betray someone with an act of love. The fascinating thing, though, is when we turn to John's Gospel, chapter 13, and we cast our mind back just an hour or so, when Jesus is with this group of people, maybe more than an hour, but with the group of people called the disciples, where Judas is and Jesus washes their feet. And it's fascinating how the author, John, begins that whole section. Judas is in this room where he's about to wash their feet. Jesus knows what Judas is about to do. And we read these words. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And then he washes their feet. And then a bit later on, he says this to, to Judas. He predicts that Judas will betray him. 
And then he basically says, what you are about to do, do quickly. The amazing thing is Jesus knows what is in Judas's mind and washes his feet and then says, go for it. Go and do what you know you're going to do. Betray me. And so that then when Judas comes and gives that kiss to show who Jesus is so they can arrest him so that he'll be killed, Jesus is highlighting even more the tragedy of the situation that Jesus in a supreme act of love is willing to stoop and wash the feet of the one he knows is going to betray him. And so when he comes to betray him with a kiss, Jesus is there in all his fullness saying, you betray me with a kiss? After all I've done. Judas is about manipulation. Jesus is an act of sacrifice. And I want to suggest that this greet one another with a holy kiss is a command in which all of us are being, have a, had a mirror shine up to our relationships to say, are your relationships ones of manipulation or are they ones of genuine self-sacrifice? Let me give you an example. Are we in a culture where we invite somebody for dinner hoping that they'll then invite us back? Are we in a culture in which we engage in business relationships so that what we can get out of it? Are we in a culture in which we say kind words to someone hoping that in turn they'll say kind words back to us? In other words, all of those very subtle things, they're about me, not them. In other words, it's an act of manipulation for my purposes, not theirs. So when I engage in a hug, is it for me or for them? In this action I do of great generosity, is it for me or for them? In my relationships with my friendships, is it more about what I can get out of it than what I can give to them? In our culture in which our relationships are so often about what the person does for me rather than way I can give to them. Even in church, is it about what I get out of it? Simple things like, I was thinking about this, there's a million ways you could interpret this. Being on time. It's an act of love, isn't it? Turning up so that we can bless other people that they arrive on time. In other words, greet one another with a holy kiss is a way of saying, actually, these relationships are not about me and what I get out of it. They're about what I can give, that act of sacrifice. If an interaction is about me, then it's not holy. It's not set apart. It might be fine. But it's not what this calling is. This is an act of genuine otherness for people. So I think as we come to an end, a genuine good question about this greeting in all our relationships is this. Will this person understand more of the kindness of Jesus by the way I relate to them? So in a gesture, can I give it really practical? Because I know someone's going to say, so do you think we should do kissing in church? I think if we're asking that, we've got the wrong end of the stick. How I greet someone, if it's genuinely about them, I've got to be asking, in this gesture, will they understand more of Jesus' love? So therefore, in our culture, it may well be way more appropriate to give a handshake. 
which is why in our welcome teams at church, we encourage people not to be very huggy because there's lots of people who might interpret that in a very wrong way. And so it's a gesture of otherness, showing genuine welcome and care. So in a moment, we're going to share the peace together. What we're going to do is going to simply encourage people to go around and share the peace with them. I'm going to say how we'll do that in a moment. But it may be that as we do that, some of us, there may be people in this room that we need to apologize to. Because there are ways that we know we have conducted ourselves that are about us, not them. It may be with your children or a friend in the room or a spouse or something to say, actually, you know, that thing I said... Sorry, that wasn't a genuine other greeting. Very practically, as we do this, we'll be thinking, how can I genuinely show something of God's love for them? The kindness in which they are loved by God. So, we're going to do that. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do it. What we're going to do is simply go up to people and say, peace be with you and also with you. Okay? I'm going to invite Tom to show us what that is like in BSL as well, so that we can do it to the guys who speak with British Sign Language. So Tom, tell us, how do we say peace be with you in British Sign Language? Okay, so can we all practice that? So put our hands out. So you start here, and you go down. Be with you. One more time. Peace. Brilliant. So we can do that to each other, as well as saying it to others and so on. All right? Everyone's still practicing. Great. I'm going to pray for us, because I know this might be a bit buzzy and all that. And then after that, we're going to take communion. And the reason we're doing it in this order is because in the New Testament, it's very clear that if we come to communion and we are at odds with somebody, it's not the right approach to communion. So we're doing this as a way of expressing kindness and love and peace in our relationships with each other. All right? I'm going to pray for us, and then there'll be madness and mayhem as we do it, and then we'll come to communion. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for all you have done for us. Lord, we know that you, Lord Jesus, washed even Judas's feet, knowing full well what he was about to do. And Lord, we know we are far, far from what we could be. We're weak, we're frail, we're sinners. And yet, Lord, you gave your all for us. And so then how can we then be at odds with our friends and our fellow brothers and sisters? I pray that you'd help us to greet one another in the right way, to have genuine relationships of kindness and closeness and peaceful and vulnerable relationships that are about them, not us. Help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.